You're listening to the DC Tweet Team Podcast, and this is Being a Fan. Here's your host, Andy Burroughs. Welcome, everybody, to the DC Tweet Team Podcast, and this is this weekend's bonus Being a Fan. And this isn't just any fan, ladies and gentlemen. He said he is my spot to Kirk. It is the El Capitano of the DC Tweet Team, Mr. Maurice Hawkins. Maurice, how are you? Good day, sir. Good day, sir. How are you doing today? I am good. I am good. This episode has been a long time coming. It's our bonus episode. And what a bonus episode it is. Maurice, you are the founder of the DC Tweet Team. You are a lifelong Washington Redskins now Washington football team you have been around this organization your entire life pretty much but Maurice what a lot of people you know I know you fairly well but you know we've chatted but a lot of our listeners want to know and everyone would be interested how did the uh, the love of the NFL start how did the love of the Washington football team start take us back to the very beginning my friend okay so I think it goes back to 1983 um, my family uh, relocated uh, to Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, I, I, for those who don't know, I was born in uh, New Jersey, and I lived there from birth to age 11. And uh, my family relocated to uh, Las Vegas. Uh, my mom just got a wild hair, wanting to move to a different part of the country, fresh start. So we moved to Las Vegas, and we had a lot of friends and a family who lived in the D.C. metropolitan area. So ironically, uh, you know, in January of 1983, um, at the time, the Washington Redskins were playing the Miami Dolphins in Super Bowl 17. So, you know, my mom had called one of her childhood friends who lives in the D.C. area and asked her, well, which team should we root for? And it was like, oh, well, you got to root for the Redskins because they're playing in the Super Bowl. So... (laughs) Me following my mom's league, you know, we rooted for the Redskins. And uh, I can't really explain it, but it's, you know, when I watched the Super Bowl and I just saw that burgundy and gold on the screen, I just immediately had a connection. And I think it was John Reagan's run. Um, uh, I think it's a uh, figure 50 gut, the, uh, the uh, legendary fourth down running play that uh that he rushed for the game-winning touchdown over the Miami Dolphins, which sealed the deal for the Redskins winning their first Super Bowl. So I think that's what really generated the interest. And then the following year, uh, they went back to the Super Bowl. Uh, Even though they didn't win it, I think it just kind of locked me in uh, as a fan. So fast forward to 1985, we relocate from Las Vegas and move to the D.C. area. So now I'm in the the hub of, uh, you know, Washington Redskins football in the nation's capital. So, you know, I'm watching the games every week. You know, I'm just getting inundated with the Washington Redskins culture you see people all over, you know, the city and D.C. and Maryland and Northern Virginia wearing their Redskins hats and, you know, watching all of the uh, the uh, Redskins uh, content in the news. I mean, 
at the time there was this show on uh, NBC four called the sports machine with George Michael. And every Sunday night I would break my neck to watch George Michael and the sports machine um, to see the highlights of the Washington Redskins. Uh, you had, um, I mean, they had uh, Channel 4 with George Michael. He would have a, a coaching show with Joe Gibbs. So, you know, wanting to hear what Joe had to say about the upcoming, upcoming opponents, it was really exciting. And then at the time, you know, like NFC East was such a dominant force in football because you had the Redskins, you know, they had went to Super Bowl 17, which they won, Super Bowl 18, which they lost. Then you had the Giants, I believe, to play in Super Bowl 21, uh, where they uh, uh, beat the Denver Broncos. And then, uh, and then that year was the, uh, the 1986 um, NFC Championship, where the Giants beat the Redskins 17 nothing. And that was like one of the worst defeats I had witnessed in my life. I still have visions of, of Jim Burke <laughs> dancing in the end zone you know, when the Giants beat the Redskins. But in the same token, um, that playoff run in 86, um, when the Redskins played the Chicago Bears, who were the defending Super Bowl champions, and they went on the road and beat Chicago. Uh, and that was, that was a huge, huge win because the, the, um, the Redskins were, were um, serious underdogs. And I also think that was the game where Daryl Green uh, ran the punt return back for a touchdown. Yeah. And, and he hurtled over the uh, Chicago Bears defender. Uh, just like, like just the extraordinary athleticism that Daryl Green um, demonstrated in that play. So, you know, just like these great um, Washington Redskins memories just really crystallized my fan loyalty. And then, of course, uh, Super Bowl twenty two, uh, when Doug Williams won Super Bowl MVP and – probably one and he orchestrated one of the most magnificent quarters of of quarterbacking in the in a, in a Super Bowl um that 35 point um shellacking of the Denver Broncos uh which basically sealed the deal in that Super Bowl when we took their soul um uh, and just <laughs> and just seeing uh Joe Gibbs and just the way he would you know orchestrate the team and there were so many charismatic characters with the Redskins in the 1980s where you couldn't help but just fall in love with the team. I mean, you had, you know, you had Daryl Green, you know, fastest man in the NFL. You had Dexter Manley, who was it, and Charles Mann. They were just monsters uh, on the defensive line. You had, um, you know, the gentleman, uh, Art Monk, you know, he quiet, the quiet assassin. I mean, he was always humble, but, you know, he was always reliable on the uh, um, catching the ball. Uh, you had Gary Clark, who was, really exciting. Ricky Sanders. Uh, I mean, you just had so many players. I mean, uh, Donnie Warren, Clint Didier, Dave Butts. I mean, I could go on and on and on. Uh, uh, Joe Jacoby, uh, who's uh, one of our DC Tree team favorite players. Crystal's uh, favorite player. Chris, Crystal's favorite player. Shout out to Crystal and uh, to uh, to uh, Big Jake. And, uh, you know, just another thing, just uh, Big Jake is still being robbed by not being in the Hall of Fame. I mean, there's so many players that have gotten to the Hall of Fame who don't have anywhere near the accolades that he has. I mean, that man played in three Super Bowls. Uh, you know, he was you know one of them, one of the best uh, left tackles in the history of the National Football League. I mean, he went up against some of the best defense defensive players in, in the history of the NFL. I mean, like like Lawrence Taylor, Ed Tuttle Jones, uh, Reggie White. I mean, he went up against the best, 
and was and held up held his own with all of them. So um, that's a, a little divergence. And I should shout out to Crystal on that. Yeah. Um, but you know, just you know, you know, just being a fan. I mean, when I was in high school, I remember um, getting the Washington Post, and I would read every single article that the Post would write about the Washington Redskins. Uh, I would look at the, um, the stat lines. You know, I look at, you know, who's leading the team in rushing, who's leading the team in receiving yards. You know, you always wanted, you know, the quarterback to get that 3,000-yard milestone. You always wanted the receivers to get that 1,000-yard receiving uh, milestone. Uh, you always wanted the running backs um, to get 1,000 yards. You know, you wanted uh, Dexter Manley and Charles Mann to be sack leaders. You know, not only did you want the team to be successful, you wanted the individual players to be successful as well. And, um you know, I think when you look at that decade uh, with Joe Gibbs when he first came on in 1982 until he left in uh, – two thousand. well, I think he came in 1981 as the head coach, and then he won the Super Bowl his second year in, in 1982 until he left in um, the 1992 season when they lost to the San Francisco 49ers in um, the playoffs. Like if you look at um, just that period of time with the Redskins and under Joe Gibbs um, leadership, they w went to five NFC championships, won four NFC championships, won three Super Bowls, won multiple uh, NFC East division titles. I mean, it's it's you know pound for pound, the most dominant era in in the football team's uh, um, uh, history. Yeah, and. And for me to be a child and to grow up during that period of time, it just locked in, it locked in that that uh, fan passion for the team. Yeah, I mean, Maurice, you said you moved to the uh, DC metropolitan area at young age. Can you mm -hmm. remember attending your first live game? Then uh, who took who who took you to that game? What was it like as a young? Young Maurice then attending a Washington Redskins game. Obviously, like you say, you were such a huge fan growing up. What was your first game that you attended live? My first game that I attended live, I think, was in 1989 uh, when the Redskins played the Buffalo Bills uh, at FedEx, I mean, at RFK Stadium. And, you know, just the energy and the excitement uh, of going to RFK. And that was actually the only game I went to at RFK. Oh. Uh, because I think what, what happened was um, I, went, I went in 89. Uh, I, grad, I graduated uh, high school in 89. And then uh, in 1990, I enlisted in the Air Force. So I didn't have an opportunity to go to too many sure. games after that. But just to say I went to a game at, at, um, at RFK. And, and here's the thing. Like, to get to go to a Redskins game was like a rarity because, again, they, they had that, you know, the, the legendary uh, season ticket holder list, you know, that, you know, they were basically folks were willing their spot on the season ticket list to like their grandchildren, mm -hmm. um, you know, because you couldn't, you couldn't get on it. I mean, that's how um, successful they were doing. So, so just seeing, you know, the colors and hearing the band play Hail to the Redskins and, you know, just hearing the crowd react to the fight song. And the energy, you know, just being in that stadium, you know, it was just extraordinary. I mean, even now, even though, like, you can tell that, you know, Fed I mean, RFK Stadium, you know, it's, it's a uh, husk of what it used to be. 
but it's still that vibe, that spirit. Um, it's almost like a monument to that era. So it'll definitely be a sad day for me when they they tear the stadium down. And I think there's a reluctance to tear it down. It's been pushed back, hasn't it? I believe so. I believe so. Never um, say never, Maurice. Could be. Yeah. You never know. Yeah. But uh, it's... Um, you know, it's, it was a really a fun time growing up being a uh, you know Redskins fan during the yeah. 80s and, and early 90s. So then, Maurice, you say that like you joined up to the uh, into the uh, the Air Force. What was that like then following a team? We spoke to a few people that have been in the uh, military. Carl's father-in-law's been on. Mm. He had some military service, told us like what it was like. Obviously, he traveled the world then following the team. What was mm -hmm. it, how, what was your experience? Obviously, when you uh, when you joined up in the in the Air Force, obviously you you know you couldn't attend many games. How was mm -hmm. how did that affect your fandom? And you must have met some. Uh, fellow fans of uh, either Washington or around the NFL. It must have been a, an incredible story being told back then. Oh, yeah. So when I enlisted in the Air Force, uh, you know, I, I, enlisted in I enlisted in February of 1990. So, you know, I was, you know, I was in the Air Force, completed basic training, went to Texas for tech school. And then I got my orders to go to Chaos Soria Air Force Base in Michigan which is in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. So if, mm -hmm. you, if anyone's familiar with um, the Upper Peninsula or the UP, as they call it, in, uh, in Michigan, you know, it, it looks like, you know, Michigan has the mid part and then there's the part, which is the Upper Peninsula, it looks like a shark. So it's very, very cold up there. Like it starts snowing in like October. Oh. Uh, if, I, mean, I, I, I mean, I used to say when I was up there, I felt like I was at in uh, Hoth. <laughs> and the Empire Strikes Back. That's how that's how cold it was, and we had similar gear like they had on Hoth um, that we had to wear during the snow time. But so when I got up there, it was so cold. One of the things that I I desperately desperately wanted um, was my Redskin starter jacket, which my mom had bought me for Christmas in '89 before I enlisted. Mm -hmm. But because I was going to basic training, I didn't take a lot of clothes with me. So when I when I transferred to Chaos Soya Air Force Base in Michigan, you know, one of the first things I told my mom, please send me my Redskins starter jacket. Please send me my Redskins starter jacket. And having that jacket proved to be a, a great asset for me. One, because it kept me warm because it was puffy and it had the hood and it had the Redskins and gold letters on the back with the, uh, the, uh, the logo on the front. Um, but the second thing was it was my connection to the team and connection to home. And I would walk around the base when I wasn't wearing my uniform. I'd have my, my Redskins parka on and I wore with pride and I wanted everybody to know that I was a Redskins fan. And even then, like this was like 90, 91, 92, the team was still doing very, relatively well. Um, I remember watching Super Bowl 26 um, in Michigan uh, when they won their third and final Super Bowl with uh, Mark Rippon and uh the Gerald Riggs, Ernest Biner, uh, you know, just doing, I mean, just destroying the Buffalo Bills, uh, which I took pride in witnessing and everything. So even then, even though I was away from the D.C. area, I was away from home, uh, I still carried that Redskins pride with me in, in the military. And, uh, you know, you know, you're in the military, you're surrounded with guys who from all over the country. So they all have different teams. But I don't think anybody represented their NFL team as hard as I did like um, being a Redskins fan. Where did you watch the 92 Super Bowl then, Maurice? Obviously, you, you know, you were, you, were bit, you were out uh, based at the Air Force. What were your what yeah. were your memories of that day with your colleagues? What Did you watch? Well, I'm, I'm assuming there were other Redskins fans there as well. What are your memories of that day? 
No, actually, it was me. I went over a friend's house to watch the Super Bowl, and I think I was like the only Redskins fan <laughs> um, rooting for the team. And you know, I was just excited to seeing them um, win that Super Bowl. And and I and I remember reflecting on where I was in my life at the time because you know when I when they won their first Super Bowl, like I was like a child, like I was eleven. You know, I was still playing with action figures, Star Wars, of course, of course, uh, of course. And uh, and then when they won the third Super Bowl, I was in the military serving my country. And this is like, if you remember, this was right when um, Desert Storm uh, was going on, Desert Shield. So there was a tremendous amount of patriotism going on with the country at the time. And, you know, being in the military, you know, doing an armed conflict, you know, there's just a special uh, feeling of special aura serving your nation when when you're in armed conflict with another country so um it was uh special um to be in the military and seeing all the support that the nfl and the fans were showing uh our, our, our military personnel that was highlighted you know um in a really profound manner uh that season yeah wow that's uh, that's you know first of all thank you for your service Maurice like I've said to many people you're in the military you aren't just serving mm-hmm. your own country you're looking after the world my friend these men and yeah. women that give up their uh they you know give up their lives literally so thank you very much for that my friend we're all grateful for that um Maurice what well, I know you're a big collector of merchandise and stuff what is in your uh in your collection that is most prized to you either growing up uh spoke to a lot of people it could be like a signed game boy a signed jersey what in your collection is like the uh, top of the top of the tree, shall we say? Well, I have a couple of items. So I have an autographed uh, Jordan Reed Redskins helmet. Wow! So that's pretty awesome. Uh, I have an autographed picture in a, like a frame of Adrian Peterson. Um, that I um, I have that. So I mean, even though he doesn't play the team anymore, you know, I was happy that he played two seasons with us too, yep. you know, and almost rushed for 2000 yards yeah. <laughs> during that time for, for the, uh, for the football team. And uh, actually getting to meet him uh, last year, uh, Lake Lewis, who we've had on the uh, podcast a couple of times, he was hosting his own podcast show with uh, uh, Morgan Moses and they invited Adrian Peterson and ironically, this was the same weekend as the Redskins tweet team uh, um, week on weekend annual meetup that we had. Mm-hmm. So we were able to tie in Lake Lewis's podcast event with uh, our, the Redskins tweet team weekend. And uh, several members got to take pictures with uh, Adrian Peterson and Morgan Moses and hear him talk about his experiences over the years in the NFL so that's a, another prized possession. And I still have a lot of, like, you know, Washington Redskins apparel um, that, you know, is in my collection that, you know, will still be a part of my collection, even though that's not the name of the team anymore. Yep. But, uh, you know, you know, one of the things about me is that I would always buy, like, so much Washington Redskins apparel um, each season. I always wanted to have a new hat, new T-shirts, new jackets, you know, I always wanted to have like the freshest yeah. Redskins gear, you know, um, that was out. So if you like go on my Facebook page and look at some of my photographs, you'll see so many different Redskins outfits that I've worn over the years. 
Uh, I try to color coordinate. You know, I, I would go all black. Like I'd have a black cat with my black jacket. Or <laughs> I wear a black shirt. Or I'd go all burgundy or I try to go all gold if need be. So, you know, we still can do those things, but it's not as the uh, the Redskins. Yeah, so. most definitely. Um, Reese, what do you think the biggest differences are from when you grew up in the 80s and the early 90s? You know, you like you say, you were in the military, you were at mm-hmm. college. What's the biggest differences in the game between then and now? Uh, I think the bi- one of the biggest differences between the game back then and the game now was the dependency on the running game. Mm-hmm. Um, where I mean, you still, I mean, the running game still is features prominently in um, the NFL, but now is more running back by committee. Whereas back then, you needed to have a feature back. You know, so like for example, uh, the w- Washington Redskins would have. Uh, 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 John Riggins as their feature back or Gerald Riggs as their feature back or Ernest Biner as their feature back. You know, the Dallas Cowboys would have uh, Tony Dorsett as their feature back or Herschel Walker for a brief period of time. Uh, Emmett Smith, uh, you know, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, they would have, the Philadelphia Eagles never really had like a feature back. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I mean, most teams, like the, the good teams, the teams that were challenging for titles, they had a feature NFL running back that could get you a thousand yards a season reliably. Yeah. Now I think uh, with the NFL today, it's more pass happy. Like you have to have running back by committee, but there's only like a handful of running backs that are actually going to get a thousand yards for a team. You, you look at maybe like a Dalvin Cook for uh, the Minnesota Vikings, or you look at an Alvin Kamara for uh, the Minnesota Vikings. Um, you look at um, I mean, it's just it's just not a lot of running backs that are just uh, that are feature backs anymore. I mean, if you look throughout the league, I mean, I think Cleveland they got some good running backs with Nick Chubb and um, what's the other guy's name? Um, um, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but that's the biggest difference I think is the feature back. And then I also think that um, defenses are a little bit more exotic now with the different schemes that they run, mm-hmm. um, especially. Uh, with the defensive backs, you know, where you got to be able to run a, a like a cover two or, you know, a cover four, you know, cover three, you know, because of the pressure offenses will put on your defense with the passing attack. So, um, you know, if your DBs, you know, are not skilled, you know, a team will blow you out. So I think those are the biggest differences, I think, between the 80s and early 90s to where the game is today. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, uh, very well put. Uh, Maurice, who is on your Mount Rushmore of Washington football team players? Players? Yeah. Okay. Uh, let me see here. Well, I let me see. That's that's such a tough question because there's been so <laughs> many. So I'm going to say John Riggins. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he's on the Mount Rushmore of players. Uh, I, I'm going to say Art Monk. He's I'll so popular. Him. Why is it everyone seems to? Obviously, I've only seen him on YouTube. I know JD absolutely mm. loves him. What was it about Art Monk, Maurice? I think Art Monk was, he was the consummate pro- professional, right? So, you know, like, you know, he was like the model NFL player because he never talked any trash. He didn't get into theatrics. You know, he wasn't a diva wide receiver. I mean, he just performed at a, a very high level. Uh, you know, he was known for his route running and possession catches. I mean, 
I mean, I mean, really, like at the time, like the only other receiver at the time that you could arguably say was better than Art Monk was Jerry Rice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's how good he was. I mean, and I even remember the Monday Night Football game against the San Francisco 49ers when he broke uh, the um, all-time receptions um, record. I mean, he, I mean, he 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 held it for a short period of time, and then he retired, and then Jerry Rice just surpassed him yeah. by a, a wide margin, but. You know, he was just, I mean, he was classy. You know, he was a gentleman, but, you know, he was a terror. I mean, he was one of, uh, he was like the quiet assassin because he was really laid back, but he was probably one of Joe Gibbs' most lethal offensive weapons during his tenure in the Washington Redskins. And just to kind of highlight how how lethal um, the Redskins were and, and how versatile Joe Gibbs was, not to kind of expand on it. Joe Gibbs, when he started out, you know, he really leaned on the running attack with uh, John Riggins and then it allowed it to set up the play action. And then the team evolved into just being a really lethal path happy team, which kind of delved back to his days as being the offensive coordinator with the San Diego Chargers under Don Coryell. And I remember, I think it was 89, the 89 season when uh, Art Monk, Gary Clark and Ricky Sanders all had a thousand receiving yards. So I think there's only maybe been three or four teams in the history of NFL where they've had three wide receivers to catch over 1,000 yards in a season. So that kind of like speaks to how great of a player he was and not only his, by his, um, his play, but that's how he influenced other receivers like Gary Clark and Ricky Sanders. Wow, yeah, most definitely. That's uh, yeah, a lot of. I've just wondered a lot of. Obviously, I watched it on YouTube as soon as JD mentioned to me about mm. Art Monk. So yeah, I've obviously you know I've only been a fan like many everyone knows now since like the year two thousand. So uh, mm-hmm. it's good for me to just sit here and like hear stories about like people like Art Monk and Super Bowl wins and stuff like that. It's just just like so good, Maurice. Um, yeah, Maurice. Let's fast forward a little bit, my friend. Obviously, you mm. know, um, a lot of people know you as I wish that you are the founder of the DC Tweet Team. Well, uh, what brought on for those that don't know what brought on the movement of the uh, Redskins tweet team back then now the DC tweet team uh, what made you want to set it up and uh, you must be so proud of the organization that you're currently head of oh well thank you so much I really appreciate that so to go back in time so we're, now we're talking about seven years ago so this is like 2013 so um Right, this is right around the time, you know, social media is really picking up tremendous storm. You know, Facebook is 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 a solid platform. Twitter is a solid, um, solid platform. So um, the Redskins at the time, they would have um, what they call the Skins Tweet Up. Mm-hmm. So they would put out a uh, an appeal on social media to um, uh, sign up and to, to join them at training camp for their social media day. So I just thought this was like a golden opportunity for me to go to training camp and get the insiders access to the team. So I was tweeting like crazy. You know, I was, you know, um, so I, I mean, I have a lot of, I have a lot of professional training in social media management um, from um, political work, uh, you know, working in higher education and other organizations. So I just kind of deployed some of those skills that I had acquired over the years to help me with promoting the um, myself to get into this uh, skins tweet up. Mm-hmm. So I get invited. So I'm just feeling myself like, wow, I'm, I'm this is amazing. <laughs> you know that I got invited by the, the Redskins to go to training camp to the, the tweet up. So 
I go to the tweet up and I meet all these fans. And at the time, this is when like the, you know, like the name change debate is really, really sparking up and everything. And, and I would see how fans were having different interactions with folks who wanted the team to change the name. And, and I had this thought in my head about, well, what if we had a way where we could organize and stay connected with fans and celebrate them and give them support, uh, you know, supporting the team and, you know, sharing their stories and, you know, giving them backup if people want to harass them. <laughs> and so this, this whole idea of the Redskins tweet team popped in my head and just used it as a hashtag. So I started using the hashtag um, back in 2013 and I just religiously use Redskins tweet team and all my Redskins tweets, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would just start, you know, interacting with the team, interacting with other fans. And I would just discipline like about using that hashtag Redskins tweet team, Redskins tweet team, Redskins tweet team. So 2014, um, the Redskins have their social media day, Skins tweet up. I get invited back again. And they have these competitions where you have to generate social media interests and content. So I was like one of the leaders um, of this um, social media competition they had, which I won. And, and it led to uh, a, a fan at the time writing a story about me for um, NFL Female, which was like an NFL blog, and t- talking about how I, you know, I started the Redskins Tweet Team and... Um, you know, and how I won the competition. Mm-hmm. And then um, and then other people started connecting with me on Twitter, you know, like uh, Crystal Reynolds, you know, she tw- connected with me on Twitter. Um, Kelly Haywood, uh, she connected with me on uh, Twitter. Um, uh, Liz Auckland, you know, so... Tweet I Team am- Legends. Tweet Team Legends, exactly. So we all met up at a uh, football game in November. Um, I think it was a salute to service game. And we went to the diesel tailgate and we took pictures. And then I think that's when our whole like friendship blossomed. Uh And then Kelly and Crystal in particular, they became like the, like, like if there was like, like the founding members of the Redskins tweet team in, in the version that we see it now would be, uh, Kelly and then Crystal and then uh, and and then and, and, uh, and Liz uh, Auckland and she was actually uh, overseas in Spain. Yeah. So she was representing for us, you know, overseas. And uh, I actually we started um, getting the banners made stuff like that. Liz bought like a big uh, Rescue and Sweet Team banner for herself, and it had like Spanish Armada and it had the American flag wow. and and the Sp- Spanish flag on it. And then we had a big banner over here. And then I remember in 2015, we took the big banner over to, to training camp when we, when he had the skins tweet up that day and we un- unveiled the banner um, at the line at training camp. And then uh, at the time, the Redskins media team saw the banner and they immediately came over and interviewed us about what the Redskins tweet team was all about. We told them it was all about. And then it just like took off from there. And then we had like our first annual meetup in 15 where we played the Dolphins. And then in 16, we did the Redskins tweet team meetup in England. We uh, did. When we played the, when the Bengals, when you were there. And then in 17, 18, and 19, we did the meetups uh, for home games, um, um, you know, every year where we were doing dinner parties at Joe Theismann's restaurant. Um, Last year when he came, 
uh, Joe Thousand actually came to the dinner. So that was exciting. And, uh, you know, and we've been, you know, we've been interviewed by different social media partners, you know, uh, different media has reached out to us. Uh, we've had interaction with the team recently. So it's really turned into something major. And then now 2020, you know, with you and now the podcast, you know, that has just added a, a, in a different dimension to the whole Rescue and Sweet Team movement. But uh, it's just been really uh, humbling to be a part of this movement and some of the people that I've met who've become lifelong friends um, just beyond just supporting the team. It's just been a true passion of mine. And I, I appreciate everybody who supports the Redskins and Sweet Team movement and everything we're trying to build with it. Well, we, appre we appreciate you, sir. If it wasn't for you, we wouldn't be sitting here now. So I'm actually <laughs> honoured to be sitting here doing your being a fan, Maurice. Uh, right. There's only one way to finish being a fan, Maurice. It's the way that we finish in nearly every episode now. Uh, you can mm -hmm. have three. I'm going to tailor it to you, Maurice. I've done a special one for you, my friend. Uh, uh, you can have three people, anyone you like, alive or dead, join the DC Tweet team. They can come and meet us at the Theismann restaurant when we have our annual meetup, and you get to sit down. <laughs> you get to sit down and spend some time and talk about anything you want. It doesn't have to be sport. You can choose three people, alive or dead. Who are you choosing, Maurice? Well, I would. I'll keep them specific to the. Uh, 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 our, the football team, I, I of course would have to invite Joe Gibbs, mm -hmm. and uh, and uh, he would have to be the keynote speaker. <laughs> yes, yes, very much agreed. Uh, what do you mean I'm not uh, going to do it? <laughs> you can be the MC. I'm only joking. You can be the MC, but uh, <laughs> you got to invite Joe Gibbs to it. Uh, I think you would have to invite um, uh, you got to invite John Riggins. You know what I mean? And uh, you get there, and then I would, and, and I'd invite Doug Williams, you know. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. And since it's Thiesman's restaurant, he would just naturally be there, so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I wouldn't have to, uh, you know, invite him, he would just be there because it's his spot. So we'd yeah. have, um, that's me bending the rules to get uh, four former Redskins out there to talk to the fans and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, that, that would be my uh, my dinner party. <laughs> Maurice, all y'all would be there. You're the you're the leader of the DC Tweet team, my friend. You can have as many people as you like. <laughs> <laughs> Maurice, it's been brilliant to sit down and just hear a little bit of your story, my friend. I truly, truly am very humbled and honoured. Not to only uh, you are you're the founder of the DC Tweet team. I am humbled and honoured to also call you a very good friend of myself. So from me to you, Maurice, thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, uh, Andy, and uh, I really appreciate what you're doing because. I feel like we, you know, and you knew this from the beginning. Uh, we always wanted the, the DC Tweet Team to be this international movement. And, you know, by your creation of the DC Tweet Team podcast, you know, it has accelerated that, that vision to ways that we couldn't possibly imagine. So I think it's great that people feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves that's connected to this uh, football team. And as we all move forward together and this, you know, this evolution of the team, you know, I know that the DC Tweet team will be a uh, ready, willing, and able partner with the uh, Washington football team to move our franchise forward and develop these powerful relationships with fans all across the globe uh, who support this team um, that's near and dear to their hearts. Yeah, most definitely, Maurice. Everything has to start somewhere, my friend, and this entire thing started with you. So, Maurice Hawkins, this has been your being a fan. This has been the DC Tweet Team podcast. This has been your bonus, very special episode this weekend. I have been your host, Andy Burrows. Till next time, everybody, stay safe.
Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to the DC Tweet Team podcast. Make sure you go like and subscribe. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcast fix. Till next time, everybody. Thanks for tuning in.